Hello and welcome to Reality Bites episode 132. Now with a tired lore. Not the only one who's tired. For the week of February 17th, 2015, this is a Cure Studios production. We are your hosts, Slothan. And Lauren Law, bringing you just enough enthusiasm to keep you entertained. Hopefully. If you would like to sponsor this or any other show made at Cure Studios, you can click on the donation button found at the top of the Cure Studios page. Again, thank you for sponsoring our show. Now, let's banter. Oh, good. Good. What kind of bantering should we be doing? What'd you do? what I do? Um, I have a job. Uh, a new job. I, I'm actually working. Hopefully I'm making money. We'll see in a couple of weeks if there's money coming in or not. Um, I'm tired. Uh, soon I'll be... Right now I'm going through the training process, but soon it'll be four days a week where I'll be working 10-hour days. And I'll be waking up really early and... Staying up later than I probably want to when I'm doing that, but I'll have three days off, which is nice, and I'll see about writing more then. But uh, I think that's all I've been doing. I, I did go see Rofaxen over the weekend, and we didn't get much chatting in because there was a baby, and babies take precedence on everything. So, But we had a good time. We had a good meal of a vegetarian lasagna. It was actually quite nice. I ate too much because I always do, and... Honestly, that was really delicious. I'm trying to think what else. To oh, oh! yesterday, I had some homemade chili. Um, um, Detective number nine and myself made the chili. She spiced it up. I just kind of threw it together because I guess I can do that much, right? But she had purchased, uh, I think it's spicy taco Dorito chips. And those in the chili are amazing. <laughs> so, uh, Slothin, what have you been up to? I went to a party and uh, I got a bruise. Wow, that's a uh, looks like a softball hit you. <laughs> uh, it was a hand railing. I was going upstairs in my normal way of going upstairs, which is all fours, and uh, I turned a corner too quickly and got the the handrail. You bruise very easy though, don't you? I don't even know what that looks like right now. It's a purple ball. <laughs> no, it is purple now. Cool. It was just darkish red last time I saw it. Oh, well. You're healing. You're healing. No. <laughs> you're not. Um, did you have fun at the party? I did. Was it worth it? Yeah. Totally worth it? Yeah. I saw people that I haven't seen in like six months. So, uh, how much did you get laid? I didn't. You didn't get laid? You went to a party where there was alcohol flowing with girls, I assume, and you didn't get laid. Not why I go to parties. I go to parties to hang out with people that I don't see very often. Really? That's that's an interesting sentiment. I go to parties. Oh wait, I don't go to parties. That's probably why. Um, I I have no experience with parties. I don't think I've ever been to a party that was not thrown by or for a family member or a wedding or something like that. Never been. Uh, I keep wanting to go with you, but it always is like eh, I don't know, like social anxiety and. I don't know if I'd be invited or anything like that. Yeah, there was somebody that I knew that somebody else knew that somebody brought. Okay. So there would have been somebody who only had one person that they knew there. Well, two because inadvertently, but... See, I don't socialize. But if I drink, I might. And the socializing I do when I'm drinking is probably not appropriate. I don't know what this group it might have been. Oh, well... That or at least tolerated. Tolerated. Oh, he's at it again, that lore. <laughs> well, um, no video games, no nothing? 
Uh, I poked around a bit on Minecraft today and earlier. I have now accidentally killed off two of my coven in my witchery mod because there's some... I think it's a crusher or something, but if you stand on it, you die, and the stupid witches teleport near me, and two of them now have teleported on top of it and then died immediately. So, uh, oh, um, the game Ballistics, I think it's called. Are you mm. familiar with that? I've seen somebody playing it very briefly, and then I have seen a YouTube video on it very briefly. Okay. Detect number nine has it now. Ah. And she says, there is a steep learning curve. It's actually kind of difficult to get things accomplished. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, but it's also in beta, and or at least it was when she purchased it, so it was only like six bucks. Nice. So if you're interested in a game where you construct weird things to destroy targets like villages and stuff while everything else is in white, you sometimes have enemies that are running after you too. It's I'm not explaining it very well, but think of it kind of like... Is it called Besieged? I think it's called. What did I call it? Now I forgot the name. I don't remember. Oh, well. It's a good game. Figure it out. <laughs> I can't recommend it, I guess, because I don't really remember what it was or what it is, but it looked fun. If you uh, watch YouTube at all, you you may know of Robaz, King of Sweden, uh, who does games where he's playing them and he talks over him and he has like this ridiculous Swedish accent that's adorable so I know you know, you're not a fan of his voice it's kind of annoying well yeah and maybe that's why I like it it's slightly annoying it's amusing too and then he sometimes you know forgets to speak in English and it's all in Swedish convenient oh is it well I suppose we should start doing the show right host yeah there's that thing. Okay. Well, you're up first, then. Make the print bigger. The Libertarian Civil War over Ukraine. Ron Paul's non-interventionist supporters are getting into a war of their own against libertarians who support Ukraine. The latest episode in the brewing Cold War between libertarians over foreign policy is set to take shape this weekend at an international student conference, with former congressman and presidential candidate Ron Paul standing at the epicenter. Paul is scheduled to deliver a keynote address in Washington Friday evening at the International Students for Liberty conference, a confab bringing together some 1,500 students from over 100 companies countries devoted to the principles of classical liberalism, free markets, and individual rights. But Paul's presence on the dais has provoked frustration among some members with roots in the former Soviet Union who view the Republican statements regarding Russia with disdain. Unfortunately, Ron Paul is someone very respected in the West, but if you look very broadly when it comes to it, Ukraine and in Eastern Europe, his rhetoric is pretty insulting to me as an Eastern European. Says Eagle Mark... Oh my goodness, that's a lot of accent, Mark. Markovicuti... <laughs> There's like one, two, three, four accent marks near the end of that name. Anymore. An international board member of the SFL and former chairwoman of the Lithuanian Liberal Youth in response to SFL's decision to host part... Paul this weekend. She started an initiative with two other young libertarians, Alexandra Ivanov, a student at Stockholm University whose father is Russian, and Irina Schneider, a Russian-American 
And, oh, okay, and the thing is that they're making is entitled, I am a classical liberal and I don't support Ron Paul. Citing their expertise, or experience marching for liberty and demonstration against the reign of President Vladimir Putin in Moscow and St. Petersburg, the young women fault Paul, whom they call an advocate of Russian aggression, and his eponymous think tank for regurgitating Russian propaganda, alleging that Ukraine's maiden revolution was a fascist coup, that, and that the annexation of Crimea was legal, and that there are no Russian forces operating in Ukraine. Even if there are, they supposedly have uh, jurisdiction because it was part of their... Uh, conditions for release from Russia, I think it was. I don't know. If, I may be wrong. You might want to look that up, people who are listening. <laughs> the conflict between Paul and SFL dates back to March, shortly after the Russians annexed Crimea. Paul began giving a spate of interviews on RT, Russia Today, the Kremlin-funded disinformation network, justifying the blatantly illegal land grab. In response, SFL president and co-founder Alexander McCobin published a piece criticizing Paul. Establishing his non-interventionist bona fides, McCobin began by criticizing the war on terror and seemingly endless interventions by the U.S. military in the Middle East and Africa over the past 12 years, before launching into Paul for failing to recognize that there are other aggressors in the world, namely Russia. Former Congressman Ron Paul, whose views are interpreted by many as wholly representative of the libertarian movement, gets it wrong when he speaks of Crimea's right to secede. McCobin wrote, Make no mistake about it, Crimea was annexed by the Russian military... Er, annexed by Russian military force at gunpoint. Oh, annexed by Russian military force at gunpoint. Not getting that force was part of the noun still. Huh. I'm sure there's a word for that. But. Its supposedly democratic referendum was a farce. Besides a suspiciously high voter turnout where legitimate international observers... Without legitimate international observers, the referendum gave Crimeans only two choices, join Russia now or later. In response to McCobin's article, Paul released a fundraising letter condemning the head of SFL as taking part in a coordinated attack against him, one in which yours truly was also alleged to be an instrumental player, and that arch-neocon Bill Crystal had supposedly orchestrated according to the good Dr. Paul. The reason we were all attacking him was because the American people are hearing our message, and by an increasing majority they oppose U.S. intervention in Ukraine and everywhere else in the, the neocons want to bomb. Of course, none of us have ever advocated military, American military intervention in Ukraine, much less bombing it. But accusing his critics of being bloodthirsty warmongers is a well-worn tactic of Paul and his supporters. But it's kind of true. They are fairly warmongery. Uh, Paul tends to want to be non-interventionalist, so comparatively everyone else is a warmonger, mm. I would say. Indeed, in response to the demonstrably false accusation that he is pro-Putin, Paul's defenders have trotted out the same hoary slanders against his Eastern European critics. Never have I been called a neoconservative as many times as this last month, says Ivanov. To say that, that, say that to stand up for the basic principles, principles of liberty or a neoconservative is not taking the debate in front of you. Not to take the debate in front of you. 
writer for the website of Paul's former congressional chief of staff, Lou Rockwell, the man wild, widely suspected of writing his raci- racist new- newsletters and with whom Paul is still close, labeled the young woman Lady Skunks. <coughs> 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 the woman with far too many accent point marks for me to uh, be able to read her name properly is, isn't intimidated. I come from Eastern Europe, she tells me. I can take more. Very long article. Well, if you want to stop at yes, any point, yes, I do. All right. We are literally like one fifth of the way through <laughs> with the article. So basically, what are they saying, Sloughan? They're saying that Ron Paul's consistent message, which whether or not you agree with this in this instance, it is consistent, is incorrect in this particular instance, and he is saying that they're just being neoconservatives, which would not technically be accurate. It's just that they're closer to the place that would be probably helped well by some sort of U.S. intervention. Or it could start a, another a war with Russia and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. You know, I don't uh, know what we don't this. need is more war. I don't know the uh, specifics of all this. But if you ignore Russia invading places around it, then okay, fine. You don't have a war with Russia, but Russia is invading everybody around it, and everybody else has a war with Russia. I don't know. Everybody? Shut is up. that what they're saying? No, no, no. Is that what they're saying, or is that using, what you're saying? I was using hyperbole. Are you saying that Russia is invading people? I don't know. Well, you kind of just said it's it. It's possible. Okay. If, it's if, just, if, if, if Russia... Do I think Russia wants to invade and take over Ukraine? Yes, I think Russia wants to invade Ukraine. Do I think they might have a point about Crimea? Maybe. I don't know. Well, the next question would be, do you think that the U.S. should intervene? Has Ukraine asked for the United States to intervene? If they have, should we? I don't know. That would be... Do we have to give aid to everyone? No, but that would be up to the right people to answer that question. Are you not the right person? You're an American citizen. Yeah, but I don't understand the situation well enough to make a decision about it. Okay. I would say non-intervention unless we are being directly attacked or if we're being pled to assist and we happen to agree with the policies and or government of those people who are asking for assistance. That would be what I'm thinking. So speaking of Ron Paul, well, let's move on to the next Ron Paul story. (laughs) Uh, Ron Paul, vaccine controversy shows we need markets, not mandatory commentary. No, we're not mandates commentary. Okay, let's see here. Uh, if I were still a practicing OBGYN, because apparently that's my Ron Paul voice, and one of my patients said she was not going to vaccinate her child, I might try to persuade her to change her mind. But if I were unsuccessful, I would respect her decision. I certainly would not lobby the government to pass a law mandating that children be vaccinated, even if the children's parents object. Sadly, the recent panic over the outbreaks of measles has led many Americans, including some self-styled libertarians, to call for giving government new powers to force all children to be vaccinated. Those who are willing to make an exception to the principle that parents should make health care decisions for their children should ask themselves when in history has limited infringement on individual liberties stayed limited. By ceding the principle that individuals have the right to make their own health care decisions, supporters of mandatory vaccines are opening the door for future infringements on health freedom. 
I guess I'll keep reading then. If governments can mandate that children receive vaccines, then why shouldn't the government mandate that adults receive certain types of vaccines? And if the law that individuals must be vaccinated, then why shouldn't police officers be empowered to physically force resistors to receive a vaccine? Because that's what it would be. If it is law that you have to do a certain thing, if you don't, then the police or other kind of armed people will come in to either jail you, imprison you, uh, or force you to do these things, such as taxes. You are forced to pay your taxes, or you go into prison. So anyway, continuing. Um, if the fear of infections from the unvaccinated justifies mandatory vaccine laws, then why shouldn't police officers fine or arrest people who don't wash their hands or cover their noses or mouths when they cough or sneeze in public? Why not force people to eat right and take vitamins in order to lower the risk of contracting an infectious disease? These proposals may seem outlandish, but they are no different in principle from the proposal that the government force children to be vaccinated. By giving vaccine companies a captive market, mandates encourage these companies to use their political influence to expand the amount of vaccine mandates. An example of how vaccine mandates may have led politics to override sound science is from my home state of Texas. In 2007, the Texas governor signed an executive order forcing 11 and 12-year-old girls to receive the human papilloma virus HPV vaccine, even though most young girls are not at risk of HPV. The Texas legislator passed legislation undoing the order following a massive public outcry fueled by revelations that the governor's former chief of staff was a top lobbyist for the company that manufactured the HPC vaccine. This is basically a long ramble and or statement by Ron Paul, depending on your viewpoint, I suppose. And that is all this article is. There are some comments, mostly people saying thank you, but then again, it is on a site that is dedicated to something like this, but it's autism and the media, so I assume people think vaccines cause autism on this site, which I don't think is necessarily true. Um, it does increase it in certain people because there is a flaw in, their, in the child's genetics when they receive the vaccine, causing their brain to swell. But it's very, very, very small, minute amount of people. It's not even a percent. Um, however... I kind of want to know your opinion on this piece. Stop on and... this piece? Yes. I don't think it's okay to force people to get vaccines. But I also don't think it would be okay to force people to let people who are unvaccinated near them. Yeah, you don't need... See, school. Yes, schools ex are a very good example of why you would want people, any student who attends school, to be vaccinated. You don't want your child who you've taken the... Pre the uh, um, effort to protect from certain illnesses to be put in a box with children who their parents chose not to protect them from th those illnesses. Um, another one would be uh, theme parks, I think. I could have sworn I've seen something about theme parks being, giving statements or something on that. I can't, I should, shouldn't have even mentioned it, aside from the fact that I wouldn't want my kid in a theme park full of unvaccinated kids. If I had kids, I don't have kids. Well, being unvaccinated doesn't mean you have it, though. No, but it does mean you're a risk. You're a risk and of catching are, it? You're a risk of catching it's, it. It's more, if you're vaccinated, though, aren't you fine? I'm not sure that you're completely fine. Okay. They're not 100%. If well, no, they're not. And uh, the measles vaccine doesn't really assist in measles all that much either because there are different strains like the flu. Uh, it can protect you against certain ones. It can actually give people measles now and again. I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't get it. 
I'm just saying that it's not going to protect you. All this stuff isn't protecting you and everything. It, they're trying to do this thing called herd immunity. So when everyone, when no one's a carrier anymore, no one's going to catch it. And that's what this uh, swath of vaccinations is all about, is to keep everyone from having the disease. And if no one has it, then you're not going to have anyone catch it. And that's why, oh, shoot, what, what's the one that's gone now? It's not... Polio? Polio. Polio is basically wiped out because of the herd immunity now. And, I mean, that's a good thing. But I, I agree with Ron Paul, though, on his statement that a parent has the right to decide whether or not to vaccinate their child. I don't think a government should be allowed to intervene in such things. However, I think that other people have the right to know maybe that you are a risk or at least have the ability to say, I don't want my children in contact with your children. And then again, you got public schools and everyone's mandated to go to school. So those who aren't vaccinated, I guess, would be homeschooled. But then they couldn't leave the home ever because, you know, you go out in public, you go to uh, a grocery store or whatever, you're running the risk of running into a person who's unvaccinated. It's, it's a complicated issue, but in the end, I will default on autonomy. And as long as it doesn't break anyone's autonomy, I don't have a problem with it. Now, is it breaking someone's autonomy to be unvaccinated and perhaps causing people to be at risk? I don't know. It's one of those complicated issues. Which is another reason why I wish uh, Rofaxon was able to be on the show. If we haven't mentioned it, I do apologize about it. Rofaxon is sick right now, so he wasn't able to do the show. By the way, he is vaccinated. Uh far as i know <laughs> he was homeschooled at some point in his life so eh, i don't know i think it's an interesting topic to bring up i think it's an interesting thing to talk about we may have mentioned or talked about vaccinations in previous episodes of missing dialogues or maybe even on this show uh years ago but i think it's something that keeps bringing up and especially right now it is a hot topic and uh we should discuss it, but in the end, I, I, I say let's not break autonomy, if we can help it. So anyway, I guess we'll move on to the next story, eh? The Many Causes of America's Decline in Crime. A new report finds that locking up more offenders isn't making people any safer, and maybe even counterproductive. Well, no duh, let's lock up the people who are non-violent offenders with the people who are violent offenders. They learn to be violent offenders. And let's lock up the people who are thieves and put them in a training ground for thieves, namely, put them with other thieves and gambling. Mono. Lost. Thought. Um, yeah. Article. The dramatic rise of incarceration and the precipitous fall in crime have shaped the landscape of American criminal justice over the last two decades. Both have been unprecedented. Many believe that the explosion in incarceration created the crime drop. In fact, the enormous growth in the imprisonment has only had a limited impact. And for the past 13 years, it has passed the point of diminishing returns, making no effective differences. We now know that we can reduce our prison populations and simul simultaneously reduce crime. This has profound implications for criminal justice policy. We lock up millions of people in an effort to fight crime, but this is not working. The link between rising incarceration and falling crime seems logical. Draconian penalties and a startling expansion of prison capacity were advertised as measures that would bring down crime. That's what happened, right? Not so fast. There is a wide agreement... 
but we do not yet fully know what caused crime to drop. Theories abound from an aging population to growing police forces to reducing lead in the air. <laughs> a jumble of data and theories makes it hard to sort out this big, if happy, mystery, and it has been especially difficult to pin down the role of growing incarceration. So incarceration skyrocketed and crime was in freefall, but conflating simple correlation with causation in this case is a costly mistake. Yeah, don't do that because, uh, let's see, the ownership of cats went up and so did civilization. That's, correla that's correlation. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't mean that it's the cause. Nope, nope, people should get cats. That's what caused civilization kidding. A report from the Brennan Center for Justice at New NYU School of Law called What Caused the Crime Decline finds that increasing incarceration is not the answer. As Nobel laureate economist Joseph Stiglitz writes in the foreword, the prodigious rates, rate of incarceration is not only inhumane, it is economic folly. Our team of economic and criminal, criminal justice researchers spent the last 20 months testing 14 popular theories for crime decline. We delve deep in over 30 years of data collected from all 50 states and the 50 largest cities. The results are sharply etched. We do not know with precision what caused the crime decline. The growth in incarceration played only a minor role and has now has a negligible impact. I mean, if you lock up the populace... Then no one's going to be hurt, right? Except for the people in prison, which I'm sure... Do they count those acts of violence inside prisons as more crime? I think they try to. Because it is crime. You are uh, supposedly hurting another individual who happens to be incarcerated with you, so that's crime too, but is it that we're better at making guards as we lock people up? We don't know. We don't have the reason for it yet. I would say it's probably that, you know, as we grow and... The media keeps feeding us. Uh, this is going to sound a little uh, paranoid, I guess, but the media and everything showing us how bad is bad and not thinking for yourself, or thinking for yourself is bad too. Just kind of go with the crowd. Everything will be fine. Everything is going to be fine as long as you follow the rules. So people become rule followers. I'm a rule follower. I don't think that's it. I think it kind of is. I think I, I think we're being manipulated by society to be more passive and passive people commit less crimes i think that as the standard of living goes up there's less reason for crime to be committed there's also that so if you were in a civilization where it was you know a uh what is it what was what was uh the ussr communist communist so in a, a perfect communist society where no one has wants there is no wants. you have food you have shelter you have everything like that would crime go down I'd say, rather than making a joke about that, that you instead go with the, if you lived in a post-scarce society, where yeah. the means to produce anything you could ever want existed, I think there would be very little point in crime. Except crimes of passion. Yeah. Which I think is not on the rise necessarily, but more uh, prevalent comparatively to other crimes recently. I'm not saying it is any more outstanding than it has been in the past. I'm just saying that it's it's probably one of those things. Now, if it isn't, then I would say that it's it's not a matter of scarcity or not. I think it's just a matter of passivity. Because crimes of passion should be, you know, flatlining or uh, uh, the similar with the population because crimes of passion would just happen unless the, uh, what is it, scarcity for... Passion, passioned uh, people, I guess. Like, uh, there's plenty of lovers out there. I guess you would say you wouldn't worry about it. 
people in cities don't necessarily care, but people in the country when there's so few, they might have more crimes of passion because there's not a lot of outlet there necessarily. Not outlet necessarily, but um, people to choose from. Like there's, yes, but in there's cities. only one girl in town. Everyone wants to date the girl, right? However, there's still not as much competition. There are more people for you to compete romantically with in cities than there are in, out in the country. That's true as well. So just be a fantastic looking dude and you'll be fine for a short period of time until they realize your personality's horrible. <laughs> All right. Why don't we move on to the next news story then, eh? Okay, we are looking at... Doo-doo-doo. Three parent babies explain what are the concerns and are they justified? <sighs> Let's read this. Britain could be the first country to legalize the controversial mitochondrial transfer technique. What does the procedure entail and what will it mean for parental rights? Britain will be the on the path to becoming the first country in the world to permit the creation of three parent babies if MPs vote for or in favor of change the law on Tuesday. The procedure replaces a small amount of faulty DNA in a mother's egg with a healthy DNA from a second woman, so that baby would inherit genes from two mothers and one father. The idea is to prevent certain genetic diseases being passed on to children. Most experts are in favor, but a handful have raised concerns, as has the Church of England. Okay, stop right there. That is the worst explanation I could... I... I... God, that... No! Mitochondria are an organelle within a cell. It, well, within eukaryotic cells. We are eukaryotic cells. We're made of them, rather. But mitochondria are little organelles that probably were once their own entities way back in time, but over evolutionary periods, they were absorbed into the cell. And now, though they are part of our cells, they have their own DNA, and there are only about 20 different types of mitochondrial DNA. They're basically everyone in the world has one of these 20-ish varieties. I don't think it's exactly 20. It might be like 21 so or So it's not three parents, we just get to decide which mitochondria the person gets? Yeah. That's it. That's It's not three parent things. It's, it's like saying, oh, okay, here's this well, I, I, see, I could see how you could call it three parent, but it's, I don't know. The way they're saying this just makes it sound much more complicated and horrible and terrifying and dangerous than it actually needs to sound. And where is your education for this? I'm just wondering where, what inf- where, where this information stems from. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just kind of want to have you back it up. I'm a biotech major. Okay. See, that's all you needed to say. I'm not... Like I said, I'm not disagreeing with you. I want people who are listening to know that That's you... not where I learned that there's only like okay. 20 different strains of mitochondria in us. That's something completely... That would not have been necessary for me to know. It's just something interesting that I've learned. Okay. You may continue if you wish. Well, I want to see where the England people are coming from here. The Church of England. Yeah, I'd like to see what they're, where they're coming I don't... Well, read. Read. Isn't your article? No. Reading this. No, you were reading it. Was I? Yes. I just stopped because I got pissed at their description. Sorry, I got confused. They make it sound as though you're pulling (laughs) genes out of a woman's, (laughs) out of the child, out of one woman's genome and shoving it. I I am a little tired, so I might be a little (sighs) slap happy, so I'll continue. British MPs have been given the right to vote with their consciences. Under the current UK law, the procedure is banned because genetically altered embryos cannot be implanted into a woman. Well, all right. 
right, if that's what you want, but mm, isn't it the individual right? Anyway, if MPs in the House of Commons approve the change in law, the decision will pass to the House of Lords for a vote at the end of February. And if the Lords agree, the Human Fertilization and Embryology Authority could license clinics to perform the procedure as soon as this autumn. And the first baby could be born in 2016, obviously. Uh, faults in their mitochondrial DNA. How does this disease affect people? Eh, it's, it's a fault like Parkinson's and deafness and eyesight loss and everything like that uh, because of this faulty mitochondria. Um, we can't implant other mi mitochondria into us until later or in later life. Do you know? It's deafness feeling. Not entirely sure what that has to do with mitochondrial DNA. I mean, I mean, isn't that just the powerhouse? Yeah, they're what converts. Uh, not Krebs sugars. cycle happens in there. Converts um, it's not sucrose, glucose into ATP and forgotten things. That's bad. I need to know. I should know. Prep cycle, but I've forgotten it. <laughs> well, anyway, basically, is what will power yeah. the rest of the cell. So, yeah, I don't know what that flaw would be, but maybe it could be starving. Starving yeah. cells could cause certain things. Um, anyway, religious. See, now I need to read this article and then read up in my textbooks and find out where it comes from. <sighs> Should we just move on then? I, I want to read the last bit, though. Uh, are there other religious objections? The Catholic Church opposes one form of mitochondrial transfer called the pro-nuclear transfer because the fertilized egg from the mother is destroyed in the process. Catholic ethicists have also complained that mitochondrial transfer introduces a rapture between mother and father and dilutes parenthood. Well, that's just ridiculous. In my opinion. You can have others. Anyway... I believe it is now your turn, sir. FDA approved exoskeleton allows paralyzed people to walk. Uh, bigger still. People who can't stand can now walk by putting on a device called Rewalk. Rewalk is a, robo is a robotic exoskeleton that works like a mechanical set of legs and crutches. It was unveiled over the weekend at React, a spinal cord injury recovery gym in Dallas, Texas. Marcella Turnage, who hasn't walked in 12 years after suffering a spinal injury in a car accident, used Rewalk to walk to the gym. It has changed my life, Mrs. Ms. Turnage said. It has given me a different perspective about life. Rewalk powers movement of the hips and knees so paralyzed people can stand, walk, and turn. Its backpack houses a 28-volt lithium-ion battery, which reportedly lasts 8 hours on a single charge. It also comes with a backup re a backup battery, so the exoskeleton can be used all day. The onboard computers and motion sensors allow the users to walk naturally and even climb stairs. Once the tilt sensors detect the body shift its weight forward, Rewalk takes the first step. So it's leg versions of a, uh, um, what are they called? Segway. Mech? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's just the leg version of a Segway. You tilt forward and you go forward. But, you know, it's more human-like. Does it do steps? I mean... User, yeah. So yes, it's a segue that can take the stairs. It is probably much slower. Users clamp the tilt sensor to the left side of their body in a brace. Users also wear a watch that allows them to tell the exoskeleton whether to sit, stand, walk, or climb steps. The height of each step is entered into the exoskeleton's computer each time before it uses it. Before it uses. 
before it's used to ascend or descend stairs. I wouldn't want to use two stairs. <sighs> Motor pods are strapped to the user's upper and lower legs to drive them forward when walking, standing. Wine. Also keep the body firmly in place. Wearers slip on carbon fiber footplates that hold up the weight of the exoskeleton and themselves. I think this is enough. I don't need to read. All right. Well, uh, it's always fun to see the advancements of mankind helping people with uh, different abilities. Should I say that or should I say disabilities? It's a I disability. Don't care. Um, so I, I can see future where. No one will necessarily be completely paralyzed anymore, and that'll be fantastic. I'd much rather fix the thing that caused them paralysis. Well, that would be good. You know, make them, you know, a, a biological being again where they can't walk on their own, right? You know, like use stem cells to to rebuild the spinal cord. Yeah, you just take a bite out of a baby's spine. Yeah, that's and, exactly <laughs> what I said. And you become Superman. Which is a South Park episode. If you haven't seen it, it's very amusing. Christopher Reeves. Anyway. Um, no, that's exciting. I, I, I want more of this stuff, and every time I see it, I'll, I'll, I'll probably post a, an article on here, either about, you know, walking in any fashion, or eyesight repair or hearing, or anything like that. I did see an article, or a, a video, a while ago, about uh, how they were using this thing on people's tongues to simulate hearing for them. So anytime you would hear something, it would, it would put that on the tongue, so a deaf person could, after I think a month or two, be able to hear-ish. I was thinking that the thing on the tongue, it was a sort of lollipop thing, and it had electrodes that would could be used to stimulate a sort of false sight, was what I thought that was, not hearing. That might be a different one. This other one was like a whole slip-on-the-tongue kind of thing. Hmm. So, replace your senses with another sense, kind of, sort of. Which is interesting. So anyway... Next news story, which I'm not sure of, uh, Rofaxon sent this, so we'll see what it says. The contagious thought that could kill you. Beware the scaremongers. Like a witch doctor spell, the, their words might be spreading modern plagues. We have long known that expectations of a malady can be as dangerous as a virus, in the same way that voodoo shamans could harm their victims through the power of suggestions, Priming someone to think they are ill can often produce the actual symptoms of a disease. Vomiting, dizziness, headaches, and even death could be triggered through belief alone. It's called the nocebo effect. <laughs> but it's now become clear just how easily those dangerous beliefs can spread through gossip and heresy. Now, do you say heresy? I say heresy. Hearsay. Uh, hearsay? Mm. The po with potent effect. It may be the reason why certain houses seem cursed with illness and why people living near wind turbines report puzzling outbreaks of dizziness, insomnia, and vomiting. If you've ever felt fluey after a vaccination, believed your cell phone was giving you a headache, or suffered an inexplicable food allergy, you may have also fallen vic victim to a nocebo jinx. The nocebo effect shows the brain's power, said Demos Mitsikot from Athens Naval Hospital in Greece, and we can't fully explain it. Uh, doctors have long known that belief can be deadly, as demonstrated by a rather nasty student prank that went horribly wrong. The 18th century uh, Venice medic, Eric Minninger von Lurchthal, described how students at his medical school picked on a much-disliked assistant. Planning to teach him a lesson, they sprung upon him before announcing that he was about to be decapitated. Blindfolding him, they bowed his head onto a chopping block, 
before dropping a wet cloth on his neck, convincing him it was the kiss of a steel blade. The poor man died on the spot. <laughs> Maybe that isn't funny. While anecdotes like this abound, modern researchers had mostly focused on the mind's ability to heal, not harm. The placebo effect, from the Latin for I will please, every clinical trial now randomly assigns patients to either a real drug or a placebo in the form of an inert pill. The patient doesn't know which they are taking, and even those taking the inert drug tend to show some improvement thanks to their faith in the treatment. Yet alongside the benefits, people taking placebos often report puzzling side effects, nausea, headaches, or pain that are unlikely to come from an inert, from an inert tablet. The problem is that people in clinical trials are given the exact same health warnings whether they are taking the real drug or the placebo, and somehow the expectation of the symptom can produce a physical manifestation in some placebo takers. It's, cons it's a consistent phenomenon, but medicine has never really dealt with it, said Ted Kapchuk at Harvard Medical School. Over the last 10 years, doctors have shown that this nocebo effect, Latin for I will harm, is very common. Reviewing the literature... Mitsikotas has so far documented strong nocebo effects in many treatments for headaches, multiple sclerosis, and depression. In trials for Parkinson's disease, as many as 65% reported adverse effects as a result of their placebo. And around 1 out of 10 treated will drop out of a trial because of nocebo, which is pretty high, he says. Although many of the side effects are somewhat subjective, like nausea or pain, nocebo response, or responses do occasionally show up as a rash as rashes and skin complaints, and they are sometimes detectable on the on physiological tests too. It's unbelievable. They are taking sugar pills, and when you measure liver enzymes, they are elevated, said Mitsitotas. Well, if they're sugar pills, it would go up, wouldn't it? Uh, liver does do some of these sugar things, doesn't it? Um, depends on what sugar they're eating. If it's not glucose, it's sucrose. Sucrose has both glucose and a fructose, and glucose can be metabolized by any cell in the body thanks to the mitochondria, ah. whereas fructose gets broken down in the liver. So if it's a fructose spell, there might be an elevated... It wouldn't be. It, would be, it wouldn't be elevated? It would probably be dextrose, okay. which is, I think, just glucose is shoved together. All right. Interesting conversations. I looked up Nanorum after this article. Okay. And for those who think that the side effects are somehow deliberately willed or imagined, measures of nerve activity following nocebo treatment have shown that the spinal cord begins responding to heightened pain before conscious uh, deliberation would even be possible, which is interesting. Consider the near-fatal case of Mr. A, reported by Dr. Roy Reeves in 2007. Mr. A was suffering from depression and... Uh, depression when he consumed a whole bottle of pills. Regretting his decision, Mr. A rushed to the ER and promptly collapsed at the reception. It looked serious. His blood pressure had plummeted, and he was hyperventilating. He was immediately given intravenous fluids. Yet blood tests could find no trace of the drug in his system. Four hours later, another doctor arrived to inform Reeves that the man had been in the placebo arm of a drug trial. He had overdosed on sugar tablets. Upon hearing the news, the relieved Mr. A soon recovered. We can never know whether the nocebo effect will have actually killed Mr. A, though Fabrizio Benedetti at the University of Turin Medical School thinks it is certainly possible. He has scanned subjects' brains as they undergo nocebo suggestions, which seem to set off a chain of activation in the hypothalamus and the pituitary and adrenal glands, areas that deal with extreme threats to our body. 
If your fear and belief were strong enough, the resulting cocktail of hormones could be deadly, he says. Uh, how much? Okay, this article is rather long, but I think we've gotten it. Basically, uh, the power of the brain is massive over the body. Uh, you can cause harm to yourself just by thinking these thoughts, and you can also heal yourself. If you want a much less uh, dry version of this article, there's a TED Talk on the nocebo effect. Yes, I it's think I've seen that. really cool. You can, they gave people, they had four groups where they'd give, one group was told they were getting a stimulant. One group was told they were getting a, getting a stimulant, but they were actually getting a sugar pill. And then they would give one group a sugar pill, but tell them they were being given a placebo, and give one group a... Depressant? Well, the depressant was a different one. But the people who had the... The people who were told they were given a sugar pill, but were actually... No, but were actually given the stimulant, were able to reduce the effects of the stimulant. Interesting. Um, and as for the mitochondria causing those other diseases, yes. it's because the mitochondria doesn't function in a particular area. Like, say, you get a mutation after... Well, but... It doesn't work in, say, your kidneys, and so that causes kidney problems, which have other names. How you get the other illnesses, but it is just the thing producing most of your body's energy. And we can't do anything about that to an adult? Uh, it would be really, 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 really hard. I'd be interested to see sort of procedures where we could do that. I'm not sure if that's a possibility, though. You'd have to be shooting healthy mitochondria into cells and having them survive the transfer, having the cell survive the transfer. Yeah, after you've taken out the other mitochondria, too. Right? Um, totally not even possible. Not, not possible? No, no. You're okay. not going to pull out the mitochondria from an entire kidney, say, and then replace it with healthy ones. That would be a situation where you just want to shove in the new ones. A new kidney? Hope, no, no, no. Shove a new mitochondria <laughs> into the, say, kidney, and hope that you get enough cells of the kidney for the kidney to function vaguely halfway decent. Okay. It's really the sort of thing you want to do with, like, the first cell. You'll want to do it with a fertilized egg. Yeah. Or, or maybe, like, when it's, like, four cells. <laughs> Treat each of them. It's not something you want to wait around until you're a full organism. That's just... That's not a good way to do it. Millions of Facebook users have no idea they're using the internet. And the picture is of, I assume, people from either Nepal or India dressed up, looking at their cell phones. Oh, it's Indonesia. I was thinking... That's what happens when I make stupid guesses. It was in Indonesia three years ago that Helani Galpaya first noticed the anomaly. Make the print bigger. Indonesians surveyed by Galpaya told her they didn't use the internet, but in focus groups they would talk enthusiastically about how much time they spent on Facebook. Galpaya, a researcher and now CEO with Learnet, Learn, Learn Asia. L-I-R-N-E Asia, a think tank called Rohan Samarajiva, her boss at the time, to tell him what she had discovered. It seemed that in their minds, the internet did not exist, only Facebook. In Africa, 
Christoph Stork stumbled upon something similar. Looking at results from a survey on communications use for research ICT Africa, Stork found that what looked like an error. The number of people who had responded saying they used Facebook was much higher than those who said they used the internet. The discrepancy accounted for some 3% to 4% of mobile phone users. Since at least 2013, Facebook has been making noises about connecting the entire world to the internet. But even Sheryl Sandberg, Facebook's operations head, admits that there are Facebook users who don't know they're on the internet. <laughs> so is Facebook succeeding in its goal if people... If the people it is connecting have no idea they're using the internet? And what does it mean if the masses of first-time adopters come online not via the open web, but by the closed proprietary network, where they must play by Facebook's CEO Mark Zuckerberg's rules? This is more than a matter of semantics. The expectations and behaviors of the next billion people to come online will have profound effects on how the internet evolves. If the majority of the world's online population spends time on Facebook, then policymakers, businesses, startups, developers, nonprofits, publishers, and anyone else interested in communicating with them will also, if they have to be, if they want to be effective, go to Facebook. That means they too must then play by the rules of one company, and that has implications for us all. I would say just because you don't know you're on the internet doesn't mean you aren't. You are on the internet, but yes, the expectations and behaviors of people who don't know that the openness of the internet exists would cause some interesting side effects. Like, you wouldn't know to go to a person's website. You couldn't just go to... You wouldn't know that you could just find a person elsewhere. Uh, You wouldn't know that there are things out there that aren't on Facebook. Uh, if you happen to like, oh, I don't know, I'm d- I'm going to pick a random topic, uh, e-cigarettes, because I'm looking at one. You wouldn't know that there are places to purchase e-cigarettes that aren't connected to Facebook. Not that you should necessarily start or not. It may help you quit cigarettes, but that's opinion. Um, but as Slothin reaches for his e-cigarette to vape. <laughs> but, I mean, it would be... It would be a completely different internet at that point because I think people would get used to be... It's it's the appification of the internet, I guess. You would only connect to other people via other programs and not directly. Which, I mean, in on one hand, we're kind of doing because we use the tools that other people built to communicate to others. But you wouldn't think that you could build something that yourself and share with others via email or even just visiting them in, in person uh, to allow them to communicate via the internet. What do you think, Sloth? It's an interesting idea. Are you fearful? No. You don't think the internet will close in on itself and will only be stuck communicating through each other through these, I guess, social networks? Seems unlikely. Since we already know that it that we can communicate to each other via other methods? It would just be, you know, a... a uh, you would just want to inform the people who are only on Facebook that the other stuff exists, too. All right. And could be better. Well, let's uh, do a slight hyperspeed, and we have two more stories, and then we'll wrap up, okay? The next new story is... This is how the App Store rankings are manipulated. Uh, Image allegedly shows a rack of iPhones used to download and rate apps. There is a woman in front of... Oh, I don't know. How many many iPhones do you think that is? Two, three. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, my God. It's a lot. It, it's a shit ton. 
So, and she's just sitting there poking ups and downs and likes and whatever. And Looks pe- like 50 or 60. And people can make money doing this, and they're all connected together. And basically, uh, Apple said it's going to crack down on these, but it's really hard to do so when uh, an individual has the ability to grab these many phones and create these many, a- or these many accounts and then like so many, uh, I guess, vote up so many apps that may not need it or may not may not be good for them. I mean, I was looking at a bunch of apps today because I'm trying to get my apps on my phone over to my Roll SD card. Up. Okay. More. Okay. To the picture. Okay. Okay, yeah. And across the way there's another person doing it. Yeah. Huh. I mean, you only need a few people who are willing to do this for a limited amount of money and you just pay them and they'll rate your app very high. Seems like an incredibly boring job. It would be boring, and it probably doesn't pay very well, but the app makers uh, want to do it because people will then download their apps. It's it's free market, I guess, right? <laughs> anyway, last news story, Slothin. Montana lawmaker wants to expand indecent exposure law to include male nipples, and also uh, biking pants, yoga pants, and other, actually only uh, flesh-colored ones. Tightly, tight flesh-colored pants. I've read other articles about this, and uh, some people are questioning, well, would it be only if it's a color that matches the skin that you are? Like... I've seen a picture that it looks like this woman is wandering around with absolutely no pants on in a store, and then you look up, and but then you look up, and the face does not match the, the uh, leg coloration. Yeah, her her skin's much darker than the leggings that she's wearing. Yeah, but yeah, it's an amusing picture, but I don't think it's a good precedent for for uh. I don't even care. If you want to be naked in public, I don't actually have a problem with it. That's your own body. You can decide to expose that or not. Apparently Uh, this guy um, thinks that guys wearing Speedo-type swimsuits in public should be subject to arrest, which is funny because in some countries they frown on you wearing trunks. What country is that? I don't know. I think I've got it in a French hotel. That's strange. I don't know. Well, I mean... This whole this this continues to harken back to the, oh no, you got to protect the children, or oh, I, I I can't stand the look at the human body, which is you know normal, ever because it's just horrible. Like I think you're stupid if you're going to go out naked in the winter, but in the summer you're also kind of stupid because you might probably will burn. I mean, unless you're a Tibetan monk and you can like go outside and sit down in the snow and then melt it if you want. But I mean, <laughs> I. I don't see a problem with people being naked if they want to be in, in their home or in public or anything like that. If, if you want to see it or not, that's a different thing. But you don't have to look. And to stop people from doing or wearing whatever they want when they're not at work, whatever. If well, you're at work, you're under subject of you know, I mean, who you're working there's for. There's a reason there's no shoes, no shirt, no service signs. Because businesses don't want naked people wandering around. I don't think it's naked people. It's also a matter of cleanliness. If you walk in there and you're a barefoot person, you are going to be, well, you know, shoes. Well, Shoes will tread in dirt and mud, no, too. No, 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 no. It's not about cleanliness when you're talking about shoes. It's about um, risk. 
you don't want somebody walking in there and, and then have something whacking their, their knee on or their their foot on a sharp shelf or something, or, right? Or stepping on something that some other customer has left behind. You want people not doing things that they could sue you for. But if you're just walking the street and you can't sue anybody because of it, I don't see a problem. Hmm. But yeah, in a business, you probably would want shoes, maybe some clothes because of insurance reasons and suing reasons. And also comfort of the other customers' reasons. I don't care about the comfort. I do. Like, I'd like to be if comfortable too, store, but it's not its not up to my comfort level or anyone else's comfort you know, level. If, if I own a store, I'm going to want people dressed tastefully in it because... People you want people to wear suits that visit your business only. No. Only people in suits. I hate suits. <laughs> suits are horrible. But that's basically what you're saying. No, just, you know, clothing that covers up, I don't know, 75% of your body. Even attractive women? Everyone. Okay, because you're an equal opportunity hater? Not a hater. I just... And no, as a business, my employees, as a, as a business owner, you can decide, in my opinion, whatever you policy you want in your store that, yeah. that's my opinion but generally speaking they're going to go with whatever the populist notion of decent clothing is and in public i don't care in public if you're in a public place that isn't owned by anyone but the public like roads i guess anymore um yeah i don't care if people drive naked no i don't either i'm just saying technically that's illegal drive through drive through naked Care. You don't care. Okay. So, like, you own a business, you have a drive-through, you're serving them, they're naked in their car. Do you care? Why would I care? You said you didn't want your employees distracted. That was one of your excuses. That's temporary. Okay, they look down and go, <laughs> or <laughs> depending on their inclination and the person in the car, but they're not wandering around. They're trapped in their car in one spot. See, that seems so hypocritical no. from you from from what you've said. Not I, in a, uh, autonomy, nudity, whatever you want to do, fine. My opinion is I would ban nudity in a store, but not nudity in my drive. In your own store, yes, in okay. my own store, I would ban nudity. Would you but be? Not would you? Ban would you? Nudity in a drive-through. Would you care if a store didn't care? Would you? Like, if it was a place that you'd like to eat or something and it was okay for people to be nude there, would you go there? I wouldn't sit, sit on the seats. <laughs> Usually, uh, nudists do bring around their own towels. Mm. That's kind of the policy, usually, for a nudist. And nudist colonies, as far as I know. Not that I've been to one, but I have read articles about them for some reason. They pop up. Ha <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that's the last news story of the night. Let us do the rundown. Where can we find you online, Slothin? Well, I suppose technically I have Twitter, Tumblr, and Google Plus accounts, but I, I, uh, that's like descending order. I'm most likely to be found on Twitter, least likely to be found on Google Plus. Ah. And I can be also found in Rofaxon's videos playing Minecraft. Yes. Stuff. Stuff. And I can be found as Lauren Law on Twitter and my enemy list, but everywhere else you can find me as Cure Studios, for example, on Twitter, Tumblr, and Google+, and I think maybe Facebook. It's either the I Have Nothing Show Facebook page or the Cure Studios page. I can't remember if I changed it or not, because I was running that for a while, and I just said, well, I'm running it, and IHN isn't doing anything right now anyway. I do put those up there, too, when they come out, if I remember to do it. I've kind of 
slacked off on that, but we didn't have too many people on Facebook anyway. If you want to join, we're there. Anyway, um, it's your turn. Thank you for listening to today's show. We welcome you to visit our site at curestudios.galaxy15radio.com, where you can click on the donate tab at the top of the page to give us boosts of moral support. Also, if you have any feedback or news for the show, please send an email to curestudios at gmail.com. If you like our show, please subscribe, and just for fun, let your friends and fam- possibly family know us by- about us <laughs> by giving them copies of our show. How wall? How wall? Well, the wall says brown. You heard it. Brown. That's how you will give them copies of our show. All right. Opening song today is Black Runners by Spleen, which can be found at gemendo.com. Today's closing song is Work Hard, Play Hard by 3LAU, which can be found at soundcloud.com. We leave you now to think about how horrible it is to work at something that you don't care about. 8.72359842293. Can somebody
Uh, uh, uh.